Forrest Gump once said, My mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about Dungeon in a Box. Dungeon in a Box, that sounds like a lofty title for whatever we're referring to. So tell me of this boxed dungeon, my friend. What is this Dungeon in a Box? Well, Dungeon in a Box is a monthly subscription service, uh, much akin to Loot Crate and the like, where each month you get a mini-adventure that will take you from one level to the next, And if you string them all together, you get a long campaign. How long is this campaign? Looks like 12 months for the first year, and every year they have a new campaign. Today we're going to be talking about the first four boxes from the first year of Dungeon in a Box. Okay, so this is a subscription service, so by definition we don't know what we're getting, which is, in part, the joy of a subscription service that you are going to have something that comes as some sort of surprise to you. A lot of the subscription services, the entire draw of it was that the contents of the box were worth more than you actually spent on it and would fall in line with your interests. This, we do have some guidelines on what you can expect to get from the box. It's going to be different stuff every time and there's no special indication up front of what you're getting. But every box has kind of the same sort of things in it. So what are we getting in a box of Dungeon in a Box? Well, according to the website, you get a 24-page booklet each month. I have noticed that that does include the cover, which is a little, I don't know, a little cheap feeling, but eh, whatever. 24-page booklet. You get two Reaper miniatures, usually from the Bones line, but not always. You get a one double-page map, a little package of dungeon tiles, a number of flat pack miniatures. You also get some digital things. You get the lore, and you get some soundtracks. I'm a little annoyed with the fact that you get the lore as part of a digital download as opposed to the lore actually being in the box. It bothers me a bit because the lore is kind of the selling point of an adventure. I mean, we all know that, yes, we're going to go out and fight a little bit. In the first box, you are caravan guards, but trying to sell an adventure as, oh, you guys are being caravan guards, isn't going to get many players salivating. It isn't going to really get people on board with playing in this adventure. It's not exactly an elevator pitch that whets the appetite. some degree, one of the main things you're looking at when getting adventures is getting some sort of setting or lore in which to play the game. Now, a lot of us just throw that away right out of the bat and insert our own lore, but even if you're doing that, you have to have the lore in place so that you're able to slide in your replacement parts in the appropriate places and still remain cohesive with the adventure as a whole, especially if it's like an adventure path sort of deal, like where there's going to be multiple adventures in it. So from all that stuff, there's a few things that I note. Um, these flat pack uh, acrylic punch-out miniatures, didn't you say that they used to be from Arknight's line? And now it looks like they're using something proprietary to them. 
that's just printed acrylic, kind of almost a plexiglass sort of consistency, right? Yeah, the flat pack miniatures used to be from Arknight. I actually have a bunch of the flat pack miniatures from Arknight. I like those ones a little bit more. They they flex a little bit. They're lighter weight. These ones feel a bit more substantial, which might be what you're going for. I do like the fact that these are full color printed on clear acrylic, and they're printed front and back, so each of the miniatures have a facing to them. You see the face of one of the miniatures, and if you turn around, you see his backside. In this one, there is a really cool ooze where you can see a skeleton on the inside of it, and if you turn around, you see the backside of that skeleton. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, I really dig this owlbear, actually. I've been, ever since uh, you let me borrow this box to take a look at it, I have been admiring this serious-as-heck little owlbear ready to beat you down. Very serious expression on its face. Like, you just asked it, oh, really? And it was like, yeah, really? You know, just very, uh, very furious. One thing I noticed about these two, though, is they just punch right out, right? Because I haven't actually punched them. Here, oh, punch okay. this one. Ooh. That wasn't punched before? Was so not punched. Punch? Oh, okay. Yep, that was easy. But one thing I do notice is because they're on kind of this brew type thing, I really want to take a file to these, like, jagged little points that form when you actually punch these out. Because, like, with the owlbear... Uh, it makes it kind of rest on a single point so it wobbles a little. And if you push it down so that that point's not there, then it, it's kind of almost loose on the base and also sticking up a little bit in a way that I find aesthetically displeasing. Uh, which is a really minor gripe, I admit. But I'm going to gripe about it because it's save versus rant, not save versus polite discourse. All in all, I like these flat pack miniatures. So one of the things about this is that it is a subscription box. I am getting them in three-month intervals right now, and that get, costs about $32 a month. But if you want to go a cheaper route, you can go the all-digital box. Now, as such, you won't get these uh, really cool acrylic flat plastic minis. You'll get a digital download of them, and that might be a great way to go if you're economically strapped if you're if, if you're trying to keep your costs of gaming low or if you game by telecommunication which you know at that point it doesn't really matter if you have physical parts the digital is going to be what the most important thing is for you so i mean that is an economic choice uh i guess really quick we should kind of do a comparison of like other options in this department what comes immediately to my mind is the pathfinder adventure paths and they have a current price point of about 25 dollars per adventure if you buy a physical copy or 18 for the digital copy now these have a massive reduction in cost for the digital copy over the physical copy but in pathfinder's defense the adventure paths are just an adventure booklet you don't get maps or acrylic miniatures or reaper minis you just get one book that has the adventure in it and nothing else so that's a pretty substantial difference um, it does tend to be a much larger adventure admittedly and by a dedicated team rather than one very eager and talented writer but yeah who, who who writes this let's let's see uh it is david krennan david krennan i probably should have googled this before the episode but uh 
Yeah, uh, looks like he's uh, looks like he he's been kind of a RPG journalist and such. Uh, now, yeah, now that I'm seeing his face, I, I recognize him. He runs Saving Throw, uh, which is a YouTube channel. But having said that, he's not a major name in adventure design up till this point, and they're really good adventures. Given that, I mean, very enjoyable with a lot of interesting information we'll get into that in a second let's uh kind of yeah let's go over more of what's in the box before we go over what's in the book because these are D fifth edition adventures that it's probably also fair to compare them to wizards of the coast's official DD adventures yeah the official DD adventures come out once every six months so uh every time that a new adventure path starts for paizo usually you can get a new adventure for DD. And those take you from level 1 to about level 10, give or take a level. Um, and those are really good. They are fully fleshed out campaigns, but those have a very high barrier to entry because you have to buy the full book. I mean, you could buy the digital, but I never do. I, I like having the physical copies. And then you have to read through the whole adventure to know all of the lore that's going on with the Pathfinder Adventure Paths, and with the Dungeon of Box Adventures, you can just read through the lore they give you plus the little 24-page booklet and be able to go. This would take me maybe an hour to go through all of this, maybe an hour for prepping the encounters, and then the players could just show up and we'd be ready to play. I could do that the day of gaming. They're episodic in nature. They all do combine. They are individually episodic. You could run them as one-off adventures if you really wanted to, and I don't think that you'd lose a great deal. But the continuity between them is effective. I noticed that there was even things addressing, like, but what if this thing that we obviously assume is going to happen in the first adventure doesn't actually happen in the first adventure? Which is something I always appreciate in, like, adventure path-type situations, uh... I know Paizo's adventure paths have kind of warnings in them like, okay, the whole thing could go off the rails here if the player characters decide they're going to do this instead, which can happen. And this is another situation where that could happen, but these adventures tend to be a little more constrained in that respect. We'll get to that in a second, I'm sure. As we said, they include Reaper miniatures. Most of them are from the Bones line, so they're the lighter plastic. In the first box, they actually have one of the pewter miniatures. What's there really to say about uh, Reaper's miniatures? They're, they're great. They're kind of the industry standard for plastic miniatures and pewter miniatures. Anyone who has a, a, a miniature for their character probably has a Reaper miniature. Either that or they have one of the Hero Forge miniatures, but Reaper miniatures, especially from the Bones line, are cost-effective. They are highly detailed. Their poses are dynamic. They're full of energy. They take paint really well. Pretty much the gold standard for the industry, in my opinion. Um, Reaper has always been a, co- a company that's done well by me, by the way. Uh, I want to just mention really quick that my very first order with Reaper, they mentioned in the order, they sent me a note saying, hey, it's cool that you're a new customer. We noticed that you've never ordered from us before. And they included a few pots of paint just for funsies. And I really appreciate that. I thought that was a really cool gesture. 
And on another order, I had special instructions. I put something like, I always want to feel like a rock star and make like some sort of extravagant, like no brown M&Ms sort of request, but I never can think of anything. So here's just, you know, just thank you for rocking. And they, again, sent me uh, some extra paint pots with a note that said, you are a rock star. And I thought that was pretty sweet, you know? All right, so the next thing that I'm pulling out of the box here are these dungeon tiles. There's a little, uh, what would you say, about a 6x8 thing of dungeon tiles here? Uh, sure, 6x8 sounds about right, uh, like half a sheet of paper. Yeah, and the... Lo- love that cellophane sound, that's that's perfect. <laughs> and these are really decent quality. They're, they're printed on a heavyweight chipboard. They punch out uh, very well. They're they're printed on both sides, and both sides are different. Chipboard? Uh, Heavy-duty cardboard. That's... Is that really the name of that? Because I always just call it, uh, I just always call it super card stock. When when I was designing my board game, we were looking at uh, different components, and I I found that the the heavy-duty cardboard is called chipboard. I also have been painting recently, and a number of painters go, yeah, that's chipboard. So... Learn something new. I learned something new just now. You're hearing learning happening, folks. It's just it's fantastic. I've always liked these sort of dungeon tiles because they're a great way to keep a map that is fairly simple, fresh, just by putting a few new features on it. it can create completely different tactical situations or just add to the flavor of the encounter and make the player characters uh, obsess over why there happens to be a fruit cart in this particular encounter and what that fruit cart means. And maybe that fruit cart merchant is the wizard we've been looking for all along. I love that sort of thing. While these are fairly standard quality for dungeon tiles, I do like the fact that they are themed for each box. Uh, The one I'm holding here is themed for sewers. The one from the first box is themed for a caravan. The one from the second box is themed for a city adventure. Yeah, sort of a marketplace sort of feel to it. A lot of, like, vendors and a cart, some horses, some barrels, and a fountain. So, yeah, good stuff to have in a marketplace or city square. When I was buying D&D 4th Edition stuff, they had a number of... Uh, big boxes of dungeon tiles. Literally one of the coolest things they had, along with the little monster pogs, which I still get an enormous amount of utility out of. Once again, I don't hate 4th edition. I just think it wasn't a D&D game, and it had some great accessories. And while the dungeon tiles were really good, sometimes when I needed to construct a map on the fly, it was a little cumbersome. Having these ones that are specifically themed for this adventure means that I don't have to sift through so much stuff. I can just punch out one of these and throw it down on the map. Speaking of, each of the boxes includes a giant two-sided poster map that has all the squares already printed on it and is useful for two different encounters within the uh, adventure. Now, these are decent quality. They're not the greatest. They're just paper with... It doesn't feel like there's any real coating on them. So you can't really draw on these maps. But they also look a bit specific to this adventure. So I don't really see myself using these for anything other than these adventures. I mean, looking at this underground hideout here... 
Yeah, that underground hideout looks... I mean, I could reuse it. I can definitely see where I might be like, yes, this is a... Uh, it's a goblin lair, or this is a bandit's hideout in the sewers or something like that. But just looking at it right now, it doesn't really speak to me for anything other than, yeah, that is from an adventure. That is one specific bandit lair. The backside has a fairly generic sewer in it. I get a lot of use out of that, actually. <laughs> and I, I could use that uh, over and over, but, I mean, I already have some flat pack sewers that... I can draw on with wet erase markers. So this is kind of one of the low points for the components. I guess my main complaint with them is that they are uh, just paper and not laminated in a way that would allow for drawing on them because that's one of the things I find myself doing constantly with the game mastery ones because they can be drawn on with wet, dry, and permanent markers even if you want and it'll all wash off with the appropriate uh, water or solvents whereas with these you just anything you write on them is there forever and that's kind of a shame because it's great to be able to make sudden changes to your maps just on the fly so far we've been talking about things that are are nice but can be interchanged for really any adventure I mean, the dungeon tiles can be used in basically any adventure. If you're a little creative, you can use the maps for specific adventures. The Reaper miniatures are, of course, usable whenever you need a, a good Reaper mini. The flat pack minis, while themed for this adventure, are really good quality and can be used for basically any adventure. And I would use the heck out of that owlbear. Seriously, like, the player characters would be fighting more owlbears than they know what to do with. But... In the box, they also include this little wax paper envelope that is is one of the cool parts of this box. Uh, in each adventure, something happens that causes a tipping point in the story. In this envelope, there are two stickers. The stickers give permanent lasting effects for the rest of the campaign, a, a small little bonus that flavors what's going on and tells of the history that the player characters have gone through. This one that I have right here, one of the bonuses is once per session, one member of the party may gain advantage on a social skill check as long as it relies on word of your greatness. That, that right there is pretty cool. And giving that itty-bitty little power uh, tells so much of the history that... The player characters that have been through this adventure. And in the first box, they include a big poster map of the world. And on the back of that poster map is an adventure tracker with spots for these legacy stickers. Ooh, that's actually really cool. Uh, makes me think of Gloomhaven, actually, because uh, Gloomhaven has that sticker tracker as well that you put things on as you unlock stuff. So that's that's pretty spectacular. You know, we've talked about Gloomhaven a bunch of times, but we, we haven't actually gone in depth with it. Uh, we, we don't have time to do that today, but yet we really need to talk about Gloomhaven. We need that's to talk about Gloomhaven. It is such a good game. But yeah, no, that makes me think of the way that Gloomhaven tracks achievements and stuff that happen throughout the game. And honestly, I wish there was more achievement tracking in RPGs. As much of a niche and specific thing as that is, I think that it gives people a real sense of accomplishment and primes their expectations of what happens in the game 
when they make certain choices. So it gives a good way of tracking that information and giving us continuity. But now, of course, we should really talk about the meat and potatoes of what this all comes down to. And that is, of course, the actual book containing the adventure that you are going to play if you get Dungeon in a Box. So one thing I've noticed about these books is that they're fairly similarly formatted. I mean, the material is very different between them, but there's a few commonalities that I frankly really love. Every one of the books includes a new monster, which that's fairly standard across the board for adventure modules. If you're doing an adventure or just an individual module, you want you want monsters that the player characters can't just open the monster manual and read and go, oh yeah, I know that. That's a standard goblin. That's a standard orc. Like, here we have a living cesspool. Ugh. In this one, I uh, see that the one in the back is an angry mob, which is treated as a huge swarm of medium humanoids. Uh, it kind of makes me think of the squads that were introduced in Pathfinder in the late run of the first edition, but it has sort of that same sort of thing, uh, swarming, it's volatile, it can pin you, things like that. So it's an interesting run. Another thing I've seen from these is that they all have an explanation of what the legacy cards are going to give you for it, the stickers that we just talked about. Higher level of play, adapting the adventure, and it talks about what you need to do to modify the DC of different challenges and adjust the monster levels to make it appropriate if you want to run with, say, oh, look, he goes up to the 20th level. Okay. Yeah, each of these adventures, while they do form together into one large campaign, each of these adventures stands on their own. They stand on their own two legs and can be dropped into basically any campaign that you really want to run it with. One fully-fledged NPC seems to be in each one. Is that... That holds true in the ones that I haven't looked at yet? That holds true all throughout. It gives you the full stats for them, a bit of their background, and their secret, which informs how to play as them. They're usually the, the key NPC that you will encounter in that adventure. Right, be it an ally or a villain or an antagonist or a third party that just has an interest in the outcome. The most interesting thing in each of these books, though, on the third and fourth page are these random charts that are so full of creativity. In the first book, they include a chart for creating a caravan. And oh my goodness, I... Just reading through it, I had so many great ideas. This is a caravan that's, of course, traveling together for protection throughout the wilds. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are carrying around fairly common goods. There's a glass goods manufacturer. There's a spice merchant, foods, textiles. But then there's also religious pilgrims who are on their pilgrimage. There's a dead wizard who is transporting his body back to get resurrected. Yeah, I don't want to give these all away because they're some of them are pretty cool, but just as a few examples, the caravan wagon types, to roll random wagons, you first are supposed to roll 1d6, and that'll give you either a personage on a quest, a peddler with wares, a professional on the job, or a trader with goods. Weighed heavily toward trader with goods, but all the other ones are possible. Then you roll another d6 to get the specific one, and the dead wizard is one that you've already mentioned. Under the peddler with wares, though, could be a perfumer 
who is searching for exquisite fragrances, which, I mean, that's pretty cool all by itself. That right, that right there gives me an idea for a great NPC. The player characters go, man, why why is this caravan so so smelly? Why is it so fragrant? Well, there's a perfumer. Oh no, that could attract giant insects that could ward away an owl bear that that has a lot of that right there gives me a lot of place to jump off of and take this adventure completely off the rails all of these have one of these random charts in it and i really dig that because they are super good random charts i'm a huge fan of this in and tavern generator and yeah i know there's a million in and tavern generators out there and i think one of the main problems with them is that they tend to have like a hundred results and ends up being just so random that there's no actual continuity to it but this one like first you roll for the condition then the popularity some unusual history and a hidden secret which is i mean that's a really cool thing to be able to introduce i'm a big fan of hiding secrets in games uh, especially in things that are otherwise innocuous so uh i think that that's a great feature to be able to include the adventures as a whole, though, this is really where Dungeon in a Box falls down. The adventures are often just little things, little encounters here that are just kind of in the way between getting the player characters from story point A to story point B. The actual story material in each of these is kind of light, usually limited to uh, between one and three tent post moments, which, I mean, are good for a story, but... If I cut out all the chaff, I could probably get through one of these in a single session. Yeah, I mean, with all the material in them, if you started from the beginning and included absolutely everything, I do feel like you'd be able to get a month worth of weekly sessions out of them, especially if your group tends to hem and haw or to really delve into things. But my impression was that you could really run these in one, maybe two sessions. They're fairly close to being... uh, small self-contained one-offs rather than a full adventure and i guess in one sense you could think of that as a weakness in one sense you could think of that as a strength i mean they give a good arc uh one of the things that's nice about that concept is it gives you a lot of freedom to fill in the blanks but uh I'm reminded of when Gary Gygax said that the thing that would put D&D out of business would be if the Dungeon Masters realized that they never needed the books to begin with. And in a sense, that's my concern when I say things like, you know, you can do whatever you want with this. Like, well, I mean, that is true, but... I mean, tautologically speaking, that's always true. You can always do whatever you want. It's your game. So the question is, what are we getting for our value and is it worth it? So let's do our final analysis now. For me, every single part of this box is really cool and really interesting. I love the miniatures. I love the dungeon tiles. The the charts in each book are great. Obviously, getting Reaper miniatures in a box always makes me happy. But in the end, I don't know if, when it's all put together, if it's really all worthwhile for a grand adventure. I don't know if I could actually sell my players on playing through this adventure. I think, to me, it's kind of a reverse gestalt. The whole thing is not better than the sum of its parts. Uh, Honestly, 
it doesn't quite come together in the way that I wanted it to. The, the whole thing works. It is a complete adventure. But honestly, I don't feel like the sum to me is enough to justify having this pre-assembled for me. I almost feel like I'd rather put together a dungeon in a box type thing by myself. Uh, so if I was to subscribe to this, I would almost certainly go with the digital version and then make my own decisions regarding what accessories, maps, and information I was going to actually bring into this. It feels like the digital version of this is worth well more than the, the cost and oh, yeah. is yeah. exactly what I would recommend as well to anyone who's interested in Dungeon in a Box. There, there are a few other surprise crate D&D boxes out there, but frankly, this is the one that I saw ads for. <laughs> and I'm not upset that I got them. I am a little upset that I didn't get just a little more. Well, I mean, we always want a little more. That's the nature of life, I guess, if I am allowed to wax philosophical for a moment. But in this case, uh, I guess what I want to say is that this isn't something that really sparks joy. It's some cool stuff. I'm glad that you got it. It's something that I would be glad to have myself, but... Honestly, I feel like I would enjoy the experience more if I started with the adventure and collected the accessories that I wanted to use for my interpretation of that adventure myself. So my final analysis is that if you have difficulty assembling everything you need to run an adventure, this is perfect for you. This is exactly the sort of thing you need. If you're used to putting things together on your own, if you're used to getting the accessories that speak to you and tell you exactly how you want to run your adventure, this is not the way to do it. This isn't what you're looking for. And for me, that's how I tend to run my games. So this really isn't the product for me. At 12 bucks for the digital download, that would be worthwhile. It does come with some soundtracks for the game. If, if this sounds interesting to you, 12 bucks for the digital is well worth uh, the money. You've spent 12 bucks uh, on a meal that you've completely forgot about. But 32 bucks for the box, it's a pass. What do we have up next? Uh, up next, we are excited to announce that we will be looking at Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which has been released in entirety now. We are excited to compare the 1st Edition and 2nd Edition and to tell you our thoughts and expectations for the game and how we think it's going to run and how we think they're going to continue to expand the line and uh, make it the same sort of robust gaming experience that the first edition was. So once again, this has been Save versus Rant. Thank you very much for listening. Don't tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do and let them surprise you with their results. General Patton. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.